If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to episode 50 of the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. And ever since, let's see, gosh, a couple months ago, I had Amrit on to share her personal journey through codependency. I wanted to bring on an expert who is more on the clinical side of codependency and In my research, I stumbled upon uh, Sherry Gabba, who is a licensed psychotherapist and a life coach, and her specialty is in codependency, love addiction, trauma, and other mental health issues. She has been on Celebrity Rehab. She has also done appearances on Inside Edition, E! News. She's been in Cosmopolitan. So she is really an expert in this space. And what is so incredible to me is that she is also very open about her own journey through codependency and love addiction. So that's what we're talking about today. So Sherry and I talk about love addiction, what it is, where it comes from, what makes people more susceptible to falling into love addiction. And I would say even if you wouldn't consider yourself as a love addict or as a codependent, I definitely recommend that you still listen to the episode because the things that we talk about per usual are extremely universal. So we talk about what's the difference between addiction and obsession. How do you prevent yourself from falling into the trap of becoming over really obsessed with a partner, which is extremely important as it relates to breakups because the more obsessed and tied up you are with your partner, the harder a breakup is going to be. So it's so important. And we talk about this to always maintain your own sense of self and your own life, whether you are single or in a relationship. Uh, She talks about different ways to heal through love addiction, how it is going to be a journey and none of us are going to get the recovery part perfect right away. Very much full of incredible wisdom in this episode. We will also discuss uh, some of Sherry's books and she runs a program to help women uh, conquer their love addiction and codependency, which will all be in the show notes. So very exciting episode today. Also on the very exciting 
note today. Uh, yesterday on my Instagram, I launched my 30-day no contact challenge. So I launched this back in November and we did it through the holidays as a group. But I got such great feedback on it that I have officially launched it as a, you know, semi-permanent product of Breakup Bestie. So you can go in at any time and purchase that. So it's a 30-day program to help you jumpstart your healing journey by focusing on no contact for the next 30 days. So I send you daily emails that cover different topics. We'll give you a little nudge on accountability. You'll get the 30-day no contact journal where you can track your progress and stay accountable to that. There is a private Facebook group full of other people that are going through no contact, and then you'll also get a guidebook. So there's a ton of information, a ton of support, essentially everything you need. If you've been trying no contact and haven't been successful, or you've been, you know, thinking, ah, I should probably try this no contact thing, but I don't know how to start. This is going to be the perfect program to jumpstart you in that way. So you can sign up on my website or I will also include it in the show notes. So without further ado, so excited to introduce you guys to Sherry Gabba. Well, welcome Sherry to the show. I'm so excited to have you on and talk to you today about love addiction. And I'd love if you could start off by introducing yourself and what you do, what your background is and how you work with clients. Well, Kendra, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It is an honor to be here and I love what you're doing in the world and, you know, people really need what you are doing and they need your support. Um, So I started my brand really um, in addiction and and I was married to an alcoholic. I worked at um, a famous rehab. It was called Cramp Promises. Unfortunately, with the California fires, it, it burnt down. And I also eventually met Dr. Drew and ended up working on celebrity rehab. Um, as a therapist slash coach. And from there, he had another spinoff called Sex and Love Addiction. So I ended up doing that show. But I found my whole focus at first was really about the addict. And I was not the addict in terms of like alcohol drugs. And so I sort of shifted my whole um, messaging because I realized how codependent of me. I'm like focusing on him instead of focusing on me and what I do and what I want to talk about. And I love this subject because I am a love addict and a codependent in recovery. And I've done a lot of work and I'm probably a lot older than you, Kendra. And I really, um, you know, my mission is to get out there and say, it's, you know, it's never too late to understand why we've had multiple relationships. Like in my book, Love Smacked on Amazon, I talk about my multiple marriages um, and I want people to not feel ashamed for mistakes that they've made. You know, um, there's no shame or blame. So that's that's my work. Um, of course, I have programs and stuff that we can talk about, but my, my goal is really to help people um, understand love addiction and codependency and the trauma underneath it. Yeah, I love, I love the work that you do, I think it's so important. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like love addiction is becoming something that's more widely talked about. That's funny you say that. Um, You know, it is, but people still don't like the word addiction. So like um, when I promote certain things, I might say obsessive love because people can relate to that. I understand what love addiction is because I'm a professional in the field, but a lot of people just, you know, they shy away from that word. They just don't want to be thought of as a love addict. So um, yes, I think it's getting more prominence, but I think there's still stigma and you probably know this more than anyone with the word addiction. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And 
And I think the goal of this episode will be to help someone identify, maybe, you know, connect some dots as, oh, this makes sense. This is, you know, this was my pattern. This, this is something that I've experienced. So I think, you know, we'll be able to, to help some people identify some of these, these patterns and behaviors. That's great. I love it. And codependency too, you know, is morphed into different meanings. Um, we can get into that if you want, but I mean, codependency has also been criticized as a word, thinking that someone who loves their addict or alcoholic is there's like, there's something wrong with them. So there is a whole uh, field of people, you know, professionals that don't like the word codependent, but I still think it's a great word. And really at the, at the bottom of all addictions, at the core of all addictions is this emptiness, this need to fill it up, whatever that is. Um, and if, you know, you want me to talk a little bit about what love addiction is, it's yeah. just another addiction where we're trying to fill up that emptiness with something else outside of ourselves. The difference between drugs and alcohol and love addictions, drugs is a substance. Love addiction is known as a process addiction. It's known as a lifestyle addiction. Some even call it a soft addiction. So when you think of things like food and binge eating and sex addiction and exercise and internet and Instagram and, all, and shopping and spending, all of those are lifestyle or process addictions. And yet it means, well, it actually means becoming um, addicted to a mood altering activity rather than a substance or a behavior. And it actually creates the same euphoric states that uh, mood altering substances um, actually cause. So um, it's a very, it's very interesting. Um, you know, addicts and alcoholics often talk about their first high, always chasing that first high, that first buzz, that first drink. Love addicts are chasing that first falling in love experience. So for me, it was always comparing that first love. You know, I was, God, I was 14 years old. I was so young and it was like, oh, that's love. And I love this feeling. And it was almost like the alcoholic who goes, oh, this is what I've been missing. Now I feel normal. And I think for me, having being a child of, of I had early trauma, that first feeling of falling in love was like, oh, now I don't feel abandoned. I don't feel rejected. I don't feel, I feel so, you know, complete. I feel so whole. And, and that's really what love addiction is, you know, chasing that, that high, that first high. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I, from what I understand, it's the same chemicals in the brain that, that get triggered. And I actually did an episode of, a couple weeks ago um, on my sobriety anniversary about what do getting sober and breaking up have in common. And as I was doing the episode, I was like, it has, a, there's a lot in common that has to do with, you know, breaking a love connection and, and having to let go of a substance. Um, but I'd love if you could you know, walk through what are some of the signs or symptoms that someone is, you know, addicted to love or a, a love addict? Sure. I mean, first, I want to congratulate you, Kendra, on your sobriety. You. It's a really big deal. Believe me, I know it is. And um, I, I just really applaud you and I applaud you for doing this work. And you're absolutely right. A breakup, a death, you know, an addiction, they all are so similar. I started my career in hospice. So it's wow. very... You know, I've, I've sort of have the career of loss, but anyway, <clears throat> what I wanted to say was, um, so basically the relationship for a love addict is their whole identity. And when a breakup occurs, like you just were talking about, the addictive lover longs for that attachment and all those pleasurable feelings of that lost relationship, just like a drug user miss, miss, you know, misses their fix. So some of the signs and symptoms would be over adapting to what others want, 
not having any boundaries, having this, you know, excruciating fear of letting go, a fear of the unknown, um, trying to change others, which is also a codependent trait, um, needing others to feel whole. So in other words, you don't feel like you're anything. You're like in the ethers of nothingness until you have a relationship. And that's when you feel fulfilled and whole. Um, looking for others for affirmation, acknowledgement, validation, self-worth, um, again, fearing abandonment, fearing the withdrawal symptoms um, and giving up who we are out of fear that we might lose someone. We might lose their approval. They might reject us. They might abandon us. I mean, and then there's also, you know, the addiction to romance. So you could sort of differentiate a romance addict, maybe, you know, addicted to the high of romance. A relationship addict is addicted to always having to be in a relationship. And a love addict is always addicted to the feeling of love. But to me, they all sort of intertwine. I don't really, you know, separate them. I think they all are very close together. So I, I just think they're a family together. Yeah. And I think w one thing that I've, you know, seen with clients that have this is very much like romanticizing. I mean, just romanticizing the relationship in general, even if it was not a great relationship, it's they focus in on those times where they were really getting their fix. And that's what like, they will continue to, to chase over and over again. That's what keeps them stuck. Because, um, you know, if you think about someone who's in love with a narcissist, they're really in love with that love bombing phase, you know, they call it in our in the narcissist circles, you know, love bombing. But really, what you're talking about is you're addicted to that first high that you felt when that person was, you know, telling you how beautiful you are and was, you know, telling you how much they love you and they want to be in a relationship with you. I mean, all that is part of this whole love addiction. They don't really call it that, but it really does go with that whole love bombing. Yeah, I had some, I mean, I was in a relationship with a narcissist before I got sober, which there was, you know, so many things connecting there of, you know, addict and all of that stuff. So I had someone on and we talked a lot about the love bombing and it do you feel like people who are love addicts are more susceptible to falling for a narcissist 100% narcissist okay. I mean that's that's what they're going to fall for because it, it feels so good I mean narcissists are so charming and nothing against addicts or alcoholics um, I think addicts alcoholics are the most beautiful resourceful sensitive people in the world but if they're not in recovery then it's a whole other ball game they can be manipulative charming, controlling, all of the things that narcissists are like. And again, I want to clarify, that's someone who's not in recovery. Yes, I can speak to that 100% of the difference between being clean off a substance and being in recovery. It's, it's a huge difference. Yeah, and um, also the manipulation piece, you know, addicts manipulate to get what they want, which is the drug. And the narcissist wants a narcissistic supply. So they're going to manipulate to get what they want. For instance, my mother, after my dad died, my mother got with a con man and she was older and it was very sad. She was getting the beginnings of dementia and, you know, he knew exactly what to say to her in her grief and just, you know, and it was total narcissist Hoover, uh, love bombing. And he just, you know, you're so beautiful. You're so, oh, I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to be alone. And, you know, he, you know, hook, line, line and sinker, my mother fell for this man. It was a nightmare for all of us. And even my grandma did the same thing and I did the same thing. So, you know, they talk about addiction being, there being this genetic predisposition. I can't scientifically answer this or say this, but I think love addiction can be a genetic predisposition. Yeah. And that actually brings me to my next question of 
you mentioned, you know, having trauma in, in your childhood, but what, what's the connection between trauma and someone that then has, you know, the love addiction later on? So let's say you were neglected or abandoned or rejected, or your parents were addicts or alcoholics and they didn't meet your needs, or maybe um, you had parents that parentified you, which it means they made you into a little adult before your time. Um, what happens is, you know, you become very other focused and then there's panic sets in as an adult. And then you start responding like that little infant in pain and you start clinging to others, craving others to make you feel whole. You know, love addiction comes from this feeling of not being enough, not having enough. It's an unconscious attempt to satisfy that developmental hunger for something to belong, to be taken care of, to be nurtured, to be protected. So we're kind of looking outside ourselves to fix that fear and that pain and that discomfort. Um, briefly, I was in an incubator. Um, I'm 61. And in those days, they didn't have mothers hold their babies uh, because they were afraid the mother would pass on germs. I was only three pounds. Um, I don't know, three pounds. Ounces. I was, she was only six and a half months pregnant with me. I was supposed to die, but I didn't. I was a survivor. Um, so I was in the fight flight from the beginning because here I am in this incubator for two and a half months being fed through my feet. So I highly doubt nurses really picked me up unless they were changing my diaper and that's not even really picking me up. And then I was, you know, I, I had um, oxygen mask on my nose. So you can only imagine if for those of you who believe in attachment theory or, or the early attachment stuff, you know, I'm like one of those like, you know, kids that come from an orphanage that, you know, I'm just, I was just laying there, you know, wanting to be picked up. So basically I always was different and I couldn't understand why am I so different? Why do I always feel so low? Why do I constantly want connection? And I realized, you know, it had to do with that early developmental trauma. So I share that because no matter how many podcasts I do, somebody will relate to this story and it might be like an eye opener for them. That's so interesting. And I, I know that my listeners are very into attachment theory. I had had someone on and talking about that. So that makes I mean, that's like a textbook. I feel like that's like a textbook thing that they talk about is, you know, that really early attachment to our parental figures. So that's incredibly interesting. Um, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, some of the issues that that come from love addiction. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you about so someone doesn't feel like entirely hopeless, like what are some like treatment options and what are some things that people can do um, if they are someone with, with love addiction, so they don't feel like, you know, it's entirely hopeless. I remember, you know, when I found out I was an alcoholic, there was this utter hopelessness that I wouldn't get better and I would just be forever different. So what are, what are some treatment options for love addiction? First of all, anybody that's going through a breakup, if that's, if those are the people listening, there's always hope, always, always hope, even though you don't know it, even though you're going through, you know, excruciating pain, there's always a way out. And um, the fact that people are even gaining knowledge on this podcast is really the first step. You know, the first step is a consciousness and awareness. And then the next step is, and a lot of this is similar to the 12 steps in a way, it's making a decision to change. Um, it's learning to stop looking for external solutions for your problems. Um, it really getting down to what are your personal fears and, and really getting out of denial. You know, you talked about being in love with a fantasy. I mean, you know, addicts, alcoholics, it's the only disease that says I don't have a disease, but love addicts are the same way. They're in love with an illusion of who they think someone is rather than who they really are. 
So it's really moving out of that illusion, um, you know, really getting down to your early trauma, working with a therapist that does trauma work. Um, I happen to do somatic experiencing, which is one form of trauma. Uh, in my programs, we talk a lot about trauma. So you want to have someone, even a coach, whatever. I mean, if it's deep, deep trauma, you probably want to work with a therapist, but coaches can help you as well. If it's more on the superficial, but if it's deep, deep trauma, I think you really do need someone that understands trauma therapy. And then really, you know, doing some inner child work, self-parenting, loving that inner child, really becoming forget, you know, forgiving yourself, forgiving the people that maybe abandoned you, rejected you. You don't necessarily have to forgive um, the behavior, but you can forgive them. Um, becoming compassionate to yourself and really using this time that you're going through to prepare for a healthy relationship. You know, if you're still holding on to this illusion or wanting, you can't let go of this person or, you, you know, then you're just not really allowing the universe to bring you someone even better. Um, and that's the truth. There's no, there's no way around it. But as long as you stay stuck and, and obsessed with this past person or keep taking them back, which I have done, it won't work and it won't allow the universe to bring you what you really deserve. So really just trusting in yourself and letting go and finding, maybe finding meetings, you know, finding a program like my program, Wake Up Recovery, which I'm going to talk about in a second, or, you know, finding uh, 12 step meetings. Yeah. There's just so much support out there. There, there really is. And I, and you were so spot on. I, I always give people credit for listening to a podcast like this or, you know, seeking out any kind of help like this. Cause it, it takes a lot of, takes a lot of guts to just start looking at their potentially being an issue. So I think people really are, um, they underestimate the power of doing that. And we are big fans of therapy on, on this show. I, I tell people like, I, you know, I can help coach you, but I am it's way above my pay grade to, to look at trauma. I mean, I'm, I still go to therapy for, for past tra trauma myself, you know, so I'm a huge advocate. Yeah, Cause there are people out there that think they can do things that are out of their scope of practice. And it's just really, it makes our field just kind of sticky and, um, you know, what's really great though, honestly, is because there's so many, there's so much information out there online, podcasts, whatever, are the people out there are really, they're, they're not stupid. They know what's going on. They have the knowledge, but guess what? You have to work with that knowledge and actually take action steps. You can have all the information in the world, but if you don't actually do something about it, it means nothing. Yes. Yeah, that's a bit, they talk about that a lot in the 12 step program that, you know, just having the knowledge is, is not enough, you know, knowing I have a drinking problem did not stop me from having a drinking problem. Um, so my next question was, why is like, why is love addiction a problem energetically? Like, what is it, what does it do to a person essentially? So in my program, wake up recovery, um, for, for, code, for codependence and love addicts and toxic relationships, I use a lot of law of attraction stuff because I really believe like what you put out is what you get back, including the action steps. So I kind of touched on it a little while ago, but really obsessing about what could have been forces you to think about lack, which brings you more lack. So we want to be in abundance. We want to believe it's an abundant universe. Um, and grieving is important, but you also have to acknowledge what you're grateful for. So um, 
being grateful brings more abundance to you because you're focusing on the positive. Even 12 step meetings are really the law of attraction because you're focusing on what you want, not what you don't want. Um, Cause the universe will hear you, whether you tell them what you want or don't want. They, it, it has, you know, or your higher power. It knows, you know, it, it doesn't know the difference between what you want and don't want. It's just gonna attract back to you whatever it is you put out there. So like if you put your partner on a pedestal, that's just gonna make you wrong. And that's just going to bring more wrong into your life. You know, again, you'll keep attracting that same person. You know, we always talk about meeting the same, you know, meeting the same different name, different face, same person. I mean, I could just line up my relationships and they're all the same, pretty much just different last names. Actually, two of them have the same last name. (laughs) But, but, you know, it just because that's what I was going to attract into my life. So, you know, the person that really should be on the pedestal is you not them. And when you're doing dating, and I'm sure you've had plenty of dating app kind of uh, interviewees or, or guests, you know, it's all about, do I want to be with them? Not do they want to be with me? Like, yes. And that's, that's really important. So, um, you know, I also have exercise you can do to bring in healthy love if you want. I don't know if you wanted me to get into that, but you know, just yeah. Yeah, I, um, that was, you know, kind of going to be my next question of, so I, I think, and you touched on this, but like the, wherever you go, there you are kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. So I'm sure a lot of people with love addiction just always think it's the partner, like, oh, they're, you know, causing this in me or they're doing this. Um, and so it takes, you know, really realizing that we're the common denominator to be able to attract healthy relationships. So yeah, if you could talk some about, you know, the exercises on, on how to be able to attract more of that, you know, healthier love. Yeah. I I love what you're saying because it really is true. Um, That's part of that victim mentality. And my greatest gift that I learned by doing the trauma work was I was not intimate with myself. You know, I would blame all these relationships that they had intimacy issues. They weren't emotionally available. Truth was they were perfect for me because I wasn't emotionally available to myself. I was so busy on the outside looking for love that I didn't have any connection to me. So that's the first step is connecting to yourself and knowing that it isn't about them. If you're, if you're making it about them, then you're just living in a victim mentality. Um, so it's making a list of important traits you want in a partner. Um, the universal law of love will create the energy of the universe to bring you things in a partner. It'll you know affirm your intention to the universe of what the ideal partner would look like, who you want to attract, and really have faith in the universe that it's going to do its part to bring you what you want. And again, you can call it higher power, universe, whatever you're you know, whatever you're comfortable with. But, you know, if you're going to say things like, I'll never meet anybody, then you're definitely putting out a negative vibration. And it just tells the universe that you're fearful and you're angry. And in essence says you don't trust the universe. So really recognizing the stories you keep creating over and over again, not trusting the universal laws, remembering what you put out to the universe expands. And by putting out fears, you'll never meet anybody you're expanding all your energy into that story. So you want to rewrite the script. And I'm just thinking that this was this kind of like, I didn't even know I was going to bring this up, but I like bringing in some personal stuff because I think it helps people. But I broke up with someone recently and immediately I went into the love addiction trap. You know, here I am in recovery and all this, but you know, I, I did it. I slipped, right? We have slips, we have relapse. And that's just part of my story and I, it's okay. Um, and then I, 
then I unslipped. I went, oh no, I went, I went on an app and I'm like, oh no, 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 I'm not ready for this. No, 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 no. So the universe knows. And you know, the people that I was attracting on there, I couldn't even make up the stories of, of what the experience was. Now, I'm not saying that isn't a way to meet someone because I think you can meet someone on an app, but it wasn't the right time. And the universe knew that. So it's not going to work. So there's no easy way around this. Even sometimes I want the easy way. And now I, I was bumped in the head again, like, no, 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 you don't want to fill the void with that app because it's not going to work. And I've been feeling great ever since I figured that out again. And that's okay. You just keep figuring it out again and again and again. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, what you were just kind of to what you said about the exercise, it's almost like when we're in that love addiction mindset, we think someone else is going to come in and solve all that for us. And really it's, we can, we do all of that ourselves. And then we meet someone after we've done that. You, you can't bypass the, the healing, you know, I mean, now do I need as much time as I've needed in the past? Probably not because now that I've had some time, I'm feeling back, I'm back to my old self. But in that moment, when I immediately did that, I was in my, I was in my disease, you know, my yeah. I love addiction. And thank God I got right out, you know, just like if someone has a, you know, a slip or a relapse, you know, call relapse would be if I just continued on that journey to me, a little slip, it's just a word and who cares. But I was able to, you know, get myself back because I've done so much work and I know all the answers. But, you know, we're human. And that's that's why I share this stuff, because it's not about like beating myself up or shaming myself or you blaming yourself. It's just what we do. But I'm telling you, it, it doesn't work. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash heartbreak. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I started going to, you know, I've been sober for eight years and I started going um, to Al-Anon the last, you know, um, few years. And it's been like a whole other animal for me to, to tackle. And it makes sense why they don't have like dates in those programs because it like it's it's just so we would have to change them you know every few weeks because it, it is it's very tough to be able to 
um, to stick to that. Yeah. Just, you know, just put one, like they say, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You will get it. And, yeah. and by the way, everything you've done, like I just said, counts. Everything, every relationship, every, all the work you've done, maybe you went back, maybe you, well, all this stuff counts. Do not think that you're starting from, from A, like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this again. Oh my God. Don't, don't, don't waste that energy beating yourself up. It's not going to get you what you want. I just did a talk on that on, you know, the whole idea of being back at square one. It's like, I don't really think we ever, I don't think that ever really exists, you know, because all that work that we've done, it doesn't just get wiped away because you reach out to an ex or slip on old behavior. It's like all that stuff you've learned is still there. Of course, like really there. And, you know, like in the 12 steps, you get chips as you know, for, for time. And I think that's fine in some ways. It makes you accountable. It works for a lot of people. I do not put it down. I mean, I think it's the greatest program in the world, but, but sometimes when you do that, then you start, you know, beating yourself up. Oh, I got to start over again. I got to start my time again. Right. Oh, I slipped and I got to start over again. No, no, no. That other stuff you've done counts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think another huge way that, you know, typical substance abuse addiction versus love addiction are so similar is that whole concept of, of withdrawal once it's gone. So I'd love if you could talk about what is withdrawal? Why does, I, I hear people say it physically hurts going through a breakup. And I think that's from the withdrawal. So if you could talk about that, that would be great. Sure. So it's very agonizing and you feel very empty and you feel very obsessive and you're in panic. And there's this awful sense of not knowing who you are. You kind of lose your, your equilibrium in a way. Um, you get that feeling, I'll never find love again. That's probably what makes people reach for, you know, the, the dating app, you know, and that's probably what went through my mind very, you know, like, oh, nobody's going to want me. I'm so old, which is not true, by the way. Um, but the positive side is during this time of healing, you have the opportunity to become whole again. And it's so amazing when you do that. You feel, you just feel so good. And there's so much freedom in that. Um, withdrawing is really a time to meet yourself. You know, it's, it's time to find that authentic, press, precious self that you've been avoiding. It's a time for self-love and healing and, and being, you know, optimistic and hopeful about all the possibilities that exist. And just a, a follow-up question on that when we talk about withdrawal with love addiction, because it's the same chemicals as substance abuse, is it, is there like an actual chemical detox process that, that happens after that? Yeah, I really, I, scientifically, I wouldn't, I can't say, I feel yeah. like you just need to keep positivity in your ears, like keep listening to these podcasts, you know, join a program like mine or yours, or join a 12-step program. Just keep this stuff in, you know, that's how you change your neural pathways. Is I guess that would answer your question in a way, is by having all this great stuff in your ears and then doing, you know, what it says, like, oh, journal or do this guided meditation. A lot of my program includes positive affirmations and journaling and um, meditation. And you just do this work and you keep this stuff in your ears. I'm telling you, there will be a shift, guaranteed. I mean, yeah. I did that. I put on this book um, that I forget the name of it, and I kept listening to it after this this last you know breakup, and it it was really powerful. Besides all the other work I did, just having this book and this information, it was great. I even slept to it. It was awesome. 
Yeah. And I think when we're in a time of that much agony, like you talked about, it's, it's so important to be able to fill that void with as many positive things as possible because inside we're already feeling all the negative. So having as much positive in there is I mean, helpful. With the pandemic, I mean, I, I don't know when this will air, but hope, I'm sure the pandemic is still going to be an issue. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's hard isolating and being by yourself. It can be really challenging, but there's so much information out there for you to, you know, to just gobble up during this time, you know, I mean, this is the time to take courses and to get into a program. And like I hear from people all the time, I don't like Zoom. Well, you know what, that's all we have right now. So get over it. You got to do what you got to do. You know, I still go to my meetings. I still have things that I do and we all have to do what we have to do, even if it's online. That's such a good, that's such a good perspective. And I've, you know, I've even caught myself doing that with it, you know, it's, it's obviously a difference going to a meeting in person versus on zoom, but it's like, if I can look at it as I don't have to get up and get ready and drive somewhere and, you know, have all this time. It's like, I get to do this, you know, right here and be able to soak that all in. So I love that. Yeah. Um, I've never been so busy because there are people that are willing. And then there's people that just will use it as an excuse. Absolutely. And I think that's with anything with the healing. It's like, if you want to find an excuse to not do it, you'll find one. If you want to find a solution, you'll find one. Um, So my next question, and I think this whole idea of being really obsessed in a relationship. And I think a lot of people believe that, you know, there needs to be some obsession, especially in the beginning. And they equate that with, with being in love. And, you know, as if we're talking about people listening, moving forward in relationships, like what, are, what's the difference between obsession and being in love? So in healthy relationships, when couples first meet, there is this idealization, each other, they're idealizing each other, they're forming this attachment, but hopefully as love matures, it becomes less intense and a little more secure and trust develops, hopefully alongside that love. People that have love addiction never get past that initial stage of falling in love. They idealize the person they're in love with. They never feel secure enough to trust them. They become dependent on the person they love in a really unrealistic way. They get very codependent. They are hoping somehow this person is going to create this happily ever after. You know, they're making that person their life. And it's really unrealistic to expect anyone else to create a satisfying life for you. You have to do that for yourself. I mean, they can add to your life. So inevitably, if this is where your expectations are, you're going to be disappointment, disappointed, you're going to have resentment. So their relationships are ultimately never truly satisfying, yet they can't seem to live without them. Um, that's that, you know, emptiness. And they're not based on healthy bonds, but on psychological bondage. Yes. And I've definitely been in relationships like that where the beginning and to be honest the you know I'm I'm married now and to be honest the you know I had to go through this this thing after we'd been together a couple years where I thought I thought the love had died but it wasn't that it died it was just not insane (laughs) Um, you know I talk to my clients about slow and steady you know I think that's how you say it's you know like it's just make it it's gradual. It's not this, oh my God. I certainly don't have room for, oh my God anymore. I just can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I'm like, no, thank you. I just want, you know, calm and trusting and, you know, having respect and all those things that, you know, we don't really um, 
see on in movies and TV. <laughs> we don't see all that that stuff. We see all that like intense stuff, the um, the stuff that activates us. Yeah. And I actually think it was doc. I was listening to a podcast with Dr. Drew on it and he talked about the lightning in a bottle love and how. Oh, that's it, good. I've never heard him say that. Yeah. I think it, I can't remember which podcast it was on, but it was years ago and it still sticks with me. Cause I, I think about. Bottle. Is that what he said? Lightning. lightning in a bottle. Yeah. So it's, it's quick. It's in, it's really intense, but it can't, it can't last lightning, you know, lightning can't last in a bottle. So, um, and then if someone, you know, as someone's moving forward into new relationships, what, like, what are some signs that someone is becoming obsessed with their partner? Well, when you first meet someone, um, if you're falling in love instantly, you think about them constantly, you're fantasizing about a future together, you know, you got your wedding dress on. I was really good at that. And thus I've been married multiple times because I was in love with the fantasy. So that's a huge sign. You overwhelm partners with attention and you feel it's your responsibility to fix your partner and make them perfect, make them what you want, you know, squeeze that, that round, what is it? Round peg into a square hole. No, square yeah. peg into a round hole. Um, you're just not your authentic self with your partner, you know, and you're always changing yourself to suit them. And you're really hypervigilant and you overreact to the slightest sign that your partner is no longer interested in you and you just feel empty and lost or unworthy when you're not in a relationship. So these are all signs. Okay. Yeah. And, and then what are, well, I guess the question would be where, like, what does this obsession stem from? Is it the same thing you kind of talked about with that, with love addiction as like the emptiness or, you know, cover the losses. Like for me, it was like, please, mommy, pick me up. Like whenever, you know, I'm out there in the world and I maybe am rejected or, or it's not even rejection. Someone's not interested in me or it's like, oh, mommy, pick me up. You know, it's, it sounds really funny, but that's really how it feels in my, in my, for my inner child. And so I have to just really love that little inner child. I have to say, okay, you know, you're here, Sherry, everything's okay. This is nothing to do with you, you know, on the inside. Um, it's, it's not easy because we have these, these mother wounds. We have these wounds, but, you know, we also have a choice to actually do some really positive self-talk, reach out for support, you know, love that inner child really, you know, like they say in the, the program, put your big girl panties on. Like, yeah. it's like, you know, talk to your adult self, not that little girl. Cause you guess what? You're not trapped anymore. You're not that little girl. You're not alone. It's a world of support and love out there. So it's, yeah, it's an attempt to recover the losses of your early childhood. You know, when a child receives plenty of love and nurturing, they feel secure. The person is likely to grow up with a good sense of themselves as a complete person. They're able to set healthy relationship boundaries. But without this nurse nurturing, you know, the child develops poor self-esteem and insecurity. And the relationships are really a reflection of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, having like navigating life in that way where you do become obsessed. And I, you know, I shared about it actually on a couple of weeks ago podcast of I, when I was out drinking, I would like go out and, you know, meet a guy just in this, in a bar, like super superficial. And the next day I would literally tell my friends that I met someone that it was like serious. And so and the obsession would just kick in so quickly. And, you know, I'm curious, what are, you know, what are some of the downsides of 
of live of like navigating life like that where the obsession just comes so quickly and takes over well some people will stay in an abusive relationship a painful one one that's incompatible and unfulfilling because they fear abandoning their their partner or feeling abandonment themselves or they lack the autonomy to leave and if they do leave they end up you know, repeating the cycle again and again and again, because they believe they should be in a relationship or can't imagine the emptiness they'll feel if they're not in one. And they also become easy prey, like my mother, for someone who's manipulative and selfish, people who recognize their extreme need and take advantage of it. It's human nature that, you know, predators are out there and they know that if you just can't stand being alone, they're, they just know they've got you. So obsession leads to a lot, a lying to yourself, lying to others, and you deny who you really are, um, you know, you, you just, you make excuses for people's shortcomings, you minimize things. I mean, I know that when I was in a relationship with someone that had financial fallout and it was just not okay. I mean, I'm at a point in my life where I don't need someone to be like rich, but I would like someone that at least, you know, has a job, <laughs> you know, has a job, a decent car, whatever. I mean, I'm not kidding. So when I met this person, there were all these like goodies. And then it was like, but, you know, well, you know, and I would make excuses like, well, he used to be really successful, but, you know, the industry, it really, the industry's changed. And, you know, and I just watched myself going, what are you doing? You know, what are you talking about? So got to be really careful about that because we live in like fantasy. <laughs> I was talking to my girlfriend about that. We live in fantasy. You got to get out of that fantasy. Yeah. Yes. And I think what you talked about with um, like not being honest with, with friends when you're kind of stuck in that. And that's, you know, because that's a way of like our addiction protecting itself is like the secrecy, you know, when you hear yourself say it out loud, that's when you can actually get in touch with reality and get out of the fantasy. You have someone like a sponsor, you have, or a therapist, or you're in a program and you bring this stuff up, you will get called out. Believe me, you Believe me, I mean, my, I have a friend, she knew exactly when my, this relationship wasn't going to work. You know, when I said, well, he has a roommate, he didn't really tell me and it's an apartment. And, you know, this is like a man 60 years old. It, I mean, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but she knew, oh God, Sherry, what are you doing? Yep. And there's been so many times when I just hear the words leaving my mouth that I know right then and there, like this is, you know, this isn't working. Is obsession, does obsession with a partner always equal love addiction or what, like when is, when does it like cross over from like being obsessed into addiction or what are some signs, you know, that it's a part of an addiction? Frequency or severity of the ups and downs, you know, all relationships, you know, have ups and downs, but how often is it? What do they look like? You know, is there abuse involved? You know, if you have five happy relationships and one unhappy one, you're not likely to be a relationship addict. But if you're unhappy in every relationship and you just feel even worse on your own, you know, then you want to look at it and say, geez, this may be an addicted relationship or love addiction. Yeah. And for, you know, for someone that's navigating healing this love addiction but still wants to have that like passion and excitement in a relationship. How can someone make sure that passion for a partner stays healthy and doesn't cross over into that obsessive, you know, place? So the best way to have healthy relationships is, I just can't say it enough, is to really feel comfortable in your own skin. 
with or without a relationship. So when you have the confidence and you have the self-worth to be on your own, you'll also have the courage in your relationship to speak honestly with your partner about what's troubling you. And then, you know, walk away if, if it's not working or there's abuse or infidelity or, you know, the things that are just like unacceptable. And if you can be on your own, you can do that. I'm not saying you that everyone should go out and get a divorce, but you know, what are these issues? Are they workable? Um, you know, maybe you need to seek couples therapy. Um, so one way to achieve that is just to have your own friends, your own interests. I took up outrigger canoeing, which has been just a godsend for me, finding things that remain important to your life. Uh, because sometimes relationships do come and go. Um, they just sometimes do, you know, some of us don't find the right person, you know, at the time we want to find them. But, um, you know, all of these things anchor you in a really positive way so that you don't need to rely on a relationship to make you feel centered or complete. It really is freedom. Freedom exists when you really, I mean, let's just look at the reality. We are born alone and we die alone. So we have to learn how to be with ourselves. A hundred percent. And I, I will say as someone who up until my marriage was um, completely terrified in all my relationships, full of anxiety, always afraid of losing the person. To be in a position now where I don't fear that is complete freedom for me to be able to be myself, speak what I need to speak, do what I need to do without fear of constant fear that they're going to walk away. I mean, I like being in a relationship. I like that feeling. It's nice, but I don't have to have it. Yes. And that's different. And there is a huge difference. Yeah. And that leads me to one of my last questions and you touched on it a little bit, but I grew up believing I needed to find my missing puzzle piece. I needed to find my other half. Um, and do you feel like the media like, like overly shows these obsessive lightning oh. in a bottle relationships? Yes. I think the media from a very early age, you know, Sleeping Beauty or Cinderella or, you know, the Prince Charming on the White Horse still exists. And, I, you know, look at the love songs that are out. You know, most love songs are really about codependency. If you really listen to the words, you know. I need um, you. I can't live without you. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a big issue that our culture, um, it's just not reality. Yeah. Well, I'm even thinking of the Little Mermaid. She gave up her voice so she could be with the prince. Like she gave yeah. up her ability to talk. So that's I, And what's the other guy? The other one with the like the monster guy. The the it's a Disney thing, and he's really ugly. And oh, Beauty know. and the Beast. Yeah, I mean, come yeah. on. Even that is just I don't know. I just think it's a it's it's just ingrained in us. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how big soap operas are anymore, but that was my go-to. You know, I was I was just a total junkie on soap operas. And then I thought my life was going to be like a soap opera. And actually, it kind of was, but like unhealthy. So, you know. Yeah. But. And I think people, you know, realizing that, um, you know, love doesn't have to be chaotic. I thought it had to be chaotic for a really long time. It doesn't have to have these crazy highs and crazy lows. They, they all have highs and lows, but they don't need to be, you know, shocking to the system like, it, like they can be. Um, and then I would love to end with what are, I know your, you know, your program um, 
use a lot of positive affirmations, but what are some positive affirmations people can use for healing love addiction? Um, so a couple of them are, I'm lovable and I'm a valuable person. I am deserving of a healthy partner who is capable of loving, respecting, and honoring me as a person. This withdrawal will not last forever. My needs and wants are important. All my experiences contribute to my growth. I'm learning to let go of dependencies on others and relying on myself for happiness. I walk away from toxic people and I create my own truth and love. And in my program, Wake Up Recovery, I have lots of affirmations, lots of meditations. Um, it's a, I'm sure it'll have it in the show notes. It's called Wake Up Recovery for Codependency and Toxic Relationships. And it's um, a 10 week course, but then each course has like three modules. So it can keep you very busy learning about all of these things, law of attraction, codependency, um, love addiction. It's actually a dollar to join. Um, so there's a weaving that goes to $27, but it's, it's like actually like nothing because I, I go live twice a month, they get live coaching and then they just get all kinds of interviews that I've been doing for five years. Um, you know, I've done summits and I've done, um, I work for a recovery magazine. So I have lots of interviews that you get. So it's, unbe it's unbelievable for $27, but if they want to just try it out, it's a dollar. That is amazing. And yes, I will put all of your information in the show notes. Um, what's the, is wakeuprecovery.com the best website to find you? Wakeuprecovery.com forward slash become dash a dash member dash CO1. So that's why I was saying you might want to put it in the show yes, notes. I will. And then Love Smacked is on Amazon, which is my book about love addiction and some of my own story. And then if people want to take a quiz on, to see if they're a love addict, um, I have a quiz, a love addiction quiz. And then with that, you get my free ebook, Filling the Empty Heart. Amazing. Well, that is, I feel like that is so much for people to dive further into this topic. And I want to thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your wisdom and all of your experience on here. Um, I'm so excited. I think people will get so much out of this. Great. And good luck to you and much success. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but 
If you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.